You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Well, good morning, Redeemer. My name is Spencer. I'm one of the the pastors here. So grateful that uh, you guys are tuning in this week. Uh, Can't wait till I get to see you face-to-face. we're going to be again in the book of Romans, which is such a privilege for us to be in. But before we do that, I think it would be right for us to pray that over the course of the past uh, few weeks, just a lot of things in America that's happening, racial injustice, um, even you know riots and things like that. And if there's any time that I can remember in my life that we should be crying out to the Lord, it's now. And so I want us to do that this morning, is to cry out to him. We need his help. And so will you pray with me and ask the Lord to do that? Father, we appeal to your sovereignty as our creator. Lord, would you you help? Would you intervene in, in the lives of this country and the people in this country? Would you bring justice? Would you open our eyes? Lord, would you help us to be humble before you? Lord, would you restore the years that the locusts have eaten? Whether it's racial injustice or business that's being destroyed, will you renew it? You're you're the one who makes things new. You're the way maker. And so, Father, make a way. We appeal to you. You're our only hope. You're our only peace. So will you do it? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, like I I said, we're going to be in Romans again uh, again this morning. And if you tuned in last week, you you heard that we did a a one through three kind of over summary over all those three chapters. And that was a lot. So I thought, well, let's go for five chapters this week. And so that'll be a lot of fun. But if you remember, we talked about how we flip the relationship that we have with God because we want to be the center of, of all the object of honor instead of God. And so we flip it. And that's sin. And even though we have these shameful acts and we do these sinful things, God sent Jesus still to bear our shame, to receive the punishment that we deserved, and then to reconcile that relationship that we have with God the Father. And so we wear Christ's honor now as if it's our own. We wear it. It's ours. And we get to enjoy this relationship as it was intended. And so Paul continues that same uh, flow of thought in Romans 4 through 8. And so now as a reconciled people with the Father, uh, he'll spend a little bit of time in 4 through 8 just talking about what it means to little by little learn what it means to follow Christ and become like him. And so just like last week, I couldn't pick one passage, so we're going to go for it all. Okay, so if you have your Bible, get ready. But we're going to start in chapter 8. So if you will, turn to the very end of chapter 8. We're going to read the last three verses there starting in verse 37. It says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's just an amazing statement for Paul to make, isn't it? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And he has this list of all these things. None of those things can do it. Nothing. Our position with him is secure. And Paul wants us to get that. But how did Paul get here is the main question. How did he come to write this when we were in our shame and now he's bestowed honor upon us, but how did we get to all this? And that's what I want us to look at in Romans 4, 5, 6, and 7, okay, is how we get to 8. And so that's our, our goal this morning. As some of you might know, my youngest is adopted from India Um, When we went to India, he was 11 months old, and we went to get him and bring him back into our family. And it was a lot of fun. There was challenges, but it just got me to thinking after reading some of these passages. He's 11 now. So what if we went and got him as an 11-year-old? As a baby, the transition was hard. He didn't know what we ate. In fact, he didn't like it. He spit it out all the time. He didn't know how we slept, you know, all that kind of stuff. But as an 11-year-old, it would be even harder I mean, just think about all the cultural clashes, not only food, but our humor. You wouldn't get it, you know? (laughs) Not many people do. Our hobbies, what we do, our habits, he just wouldn't know. I mean, it would be a really hard transition to bring a young one into your family like that. But there was one thing that I know would not change. One thing is that he would never, not for one second, no matter how hard it got, would he stop being my son. He just wouldn't. We would work through all the hardness and the transition, but that would never change the fact that he is now called my son. And as I read these passages in Romans 4, 5 through 8, I just thought over and over, we were once enemies with God, but now through Christ, we've been adopted into his family. And then Paul will even encourage us in this as sons and daughters in the kingdom, what it means to be a part of his family. And so in chapter three, having just talked about all that we gain in Christ, namely salvation, Paul ends at the very end and he asks a question, where is your boasting? What do you have to brag about? How are you arrogant about this? And the answer is, I can't. There's nothing. There's no amount of boasting or answering that question. We can just claim Christ alone. And so some still thought that they could follow a law perfectly, that they could do it all on their, their own through good works. And a lot of us subconsciously also slip into that kind of thinking. We think that if we follow this moral code or this law, that we can earn God's favor. But what Paul is going to say here is otherwise. And so I want you to open up in Romans chapter 4. And he starts off talking about somebody who's pre-law, Abraham. And he uses Abraham to show that our salvation isn't based on works through the law, but through Christ and faith in him alone. So starting in verse two, it says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. We didn't have anything to boast about except Christ, but if it was through works, Abraham would have something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so Abraham has become a model, model for us of what it means to be in the family of faith. He's a forefather of faith. Look at verse 11. It says, this purpose, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And so Paul is making a point here. It's all about faith. 
It's just about faith. That's how we enter into the family. It's not about law. It's not about good behavior. You can't earn your your salvation through good works. There is no other belief system. There is nothing else except salvation through faith in Christ. And that's how we become a part of the family. And he establishes that we are in the family in four, but then in five, he moves into what it means to become members of the family, what it means to be walking in that to be in the family, okay, and what it looks like. So jump over now to Romans 5 with me, starting in verse 1. This is, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained, also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejo- rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. Those are amazing verses. So Paul is rattling off a list again about what we gain when we trust Christ in faith. Through faith, we have peace with God. Through faith, we're in a good standing with him, and we don't stand in the judgment that we deserve. In faith, we can even rejoice in sufferings, and we don't have to despair in them. We know that they can change us and make us more like Christ. I mean, Christians of all people should come out of this pandemic being a changed people. Christians of all people should step into the conversation around race and injustice and be changed and not be fearful of it because we have this hope in Christ. He changes us even through our suffering and our trials and our tribulation. We come out with hope. I mean, those verses there at the end, we can go through suffering because it produces, it bears fruit in you, endurance. It produces character and hope, and that hope won't lead us back into those shameful actions, that shameful behavior. That's a complete 180 of the type of person that we saw in Romans chapter one. That, those people, they exchange those beautiful truths about God for lies, and then they become even more perverse in their hearts, but this person here in Romans five is completely different. This person waits on God in patience because we've learned through faith that we don't have to fear, we trust. This person in Romans 5 doesn't despair in the midst of opposition or sin because he has hope. Hope that won't lead us into shame, but hope that leads us back to where we can honor God the Father. And this, the believer here in Romans 5 is a new person a new creation through Christ. So you might be saying to yourself right now, well, that doesn't sound like me. And that's because we as Christians live in this already not yet tension in the kingdom of God. We are called sons and daughters of the king. We are already called righteous through the work of Christ, even though that's not a full reality yet. And we've, we've already seen as, we're already seen as righteous through him. We were stumbling though through this journey. We don't do it beautifully. Sometimes we respond in faith and just sometimes we don't. And this is this is hard in between stage. We've been justified and named righteous and we're adopted into the family, but we still don't know how to act all the time. We make mistakes. 
we go back into our old ways of living and we are constantly working out what it means to be sons and daughters of the king. And that's exactly what, what Paul is talking about here. It's like that adopted kid coming into the family. It takes time to learn what it means to reflect the father. And so Paul goes on in six and seven and talks about it a little bit more of what it means and how to walk. And he talks about this struggle. There's been this argument through all these chapters so far that have law pitted versus grace. And the law highlights what sin is. And we know that grace covers sin, but then there's this argument. So why not sin more so that grace can increase? And frankly, I think that's a weird argument. That's just wanting to justify our sin, right? But why would we wanna take advantage of grace? But what Paul is saying here in a nutshell is that if you're in Christ, if you're in faith, you can begin to view sin in a totally different way. You don't have to be like the Romans one person anymore. You're a new creation. And so listen to what he says in Romans 6, one and two. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so if we've died to sin, sin should be as good as dead in our lives. If we are in Christ, then we too, like him, have come to walk in the newness of life. And chapter six goes on to say in, in six through eight, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And so what happens in faith, we align ourselves with Christ instead of that sin. If he died, we died. If he is risen, then we have risen. And so sin no longer rules over us as a cruel taskmaster. Christ has set us free. He set you free. If all this is true, then we should automatically begin to view sin differently. We should hate it. It doesn't have any hold over you anymore. And we should want then instead to follow and obey and honor and worship our Father. There's this, this concept problem, though, I think we as Westerners have with these verses. That when we hear the words freedom or liberty from sin, we replace that and mean autonomy. We are so individualistic that when we hear those words freedom or liberty, we think, well, this is a no strings attached agreement. I have complete reign over my life now. And that actually isn't what the Bible says. We're not free to just go along in our merry way. But the Bible says in Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Notice the word there, kingdom. There is a king. There is an authority. There is a sovereign. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. When the Egyptians were taken, uh, the Israelites were taken out of Egypt, they weren't just free to go on their merry way. They began to have a relationship with God, their father. It was an autonomy. It was, you're my people. I'll be your God. There is always a relationship. We are not free from sin to go on our merry little way and do whatever we want. And so back here in Romans, Paul talks about in verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart 
to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. We are slaves to righteousness. He goes on in verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin, you've become slaves of God. The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. We have such a messed up concept of slavery, don't we? I mean, it's just not a good term. We've had so much history and past that these are not great things. But when you hear it like this, it changes. It redeems this definition. I love what Paul says here in verse 21. He asks this question. What fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? And that's just great. Like, just think about it for a moment. You may not like that you don't have autonomy. You may not like that we're called slaves of God or slaves of righteousness. You want to be your own person and you want to do whatever you want to do. But Paul's asking, he points us back to help us think about what it was like before Christ delivered us from sin. What kind of fruit were you getting? And he says here, you were getting fruit that produces death. It's bad fruit. But in Christ now, we have the ability and the capacity through the Holy Spirit to reap fruit that is eternal. What a, 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 you know, just a huge contrast, a stark of what he's doing and how we're different. It may not mean that we don't have autonomy, but I would put out there to us, it's so much better. If we were on our own, if you were on your own, you'd be doing what you always did, running back to sin. But with Christ being slaves to him and slaves to righteousness, you will bear fruit that is beautiful, eternal, and lasting. And here's the reality, though. Although we've been set free from sin, we still don't know how to act as part of the family. We don't know how to, we, we don't know how to act as slaves of righteousness. And so there's that already not yet tension again. And Paul talks then in, in Romans 7 about his own journey through this, this back and forth. And he lets us in like as if we're reading his own personal journal. And it's like Paul has new legs and they're wobbling and he's taking steps and he's trying to figure out also what it means to walk in faith of, with God through Christ. And so look at Romans 7 verse 17 with me. This is Paul talking about himself. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in, me, dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. There's this constant battle within Paul and I would say against uh, and within us too as Paul is honestly admitting here we are freed from sin it does not own us but it still dwells within us we are to regard it though as dead but it currently still lurks in our hearts at the same time we were slaves to righteousness or we are slaves to righteousness and we can all honor God and, and, and trust in him, but then we still battle the stupid sin. 
There is a battle within every believer that looks like this. This is that already not yet tension. But the fruit that you'll bear as slaves of righteousness, producing in you sanctification, which means he is slowly changing you to make you more like Christ. He's pulling off that old, all those dirty rags of yours. He's pulling them off and instead he's replacing them with new. So don't pursue autonomy. Pursue Christ. In Philippians 1.6, it says, For I'm sure this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. That's our hope. And so Paul, up to this point, has just laid it down these, I mean, it's just amazing truth after amazing truth. In four and five, he's emphasized what it means to be in the family, that you're in Christ, that we're sons of daughter of the king, and he's made it possible all through Jesus. In chapter six and seven, he gets real. And he tells us that we aren't slaves anymore, but rather we're slaves to God. But it's gonna be hard, yet possible, so have hope. And he even takes us on his own thought journey. There in seven, this battle for sin and righteousness going back and forth. And now with the real sense of even our current struggles, he steps into chapter eight. Love what he says right off the bat. Look at with it with me. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Put that in the context of Romans 7. We are in that already not yet. I mean, we're in a battle over sin and our own self. And sometimes we follow God and pursue righteousness. And other times we fall back into our old ways. It's like two steps forward in grace and then one step back into sin. But then as if Paul is looking us in the eye, knowing what's going on in every single one of our hearts and our minds, he reminds us, you have no condemnation in Christ. None if you're in Christ. In Philippians 3, 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make, make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. There's no condemnation in Christ. There's none. He goes on to say that we should forget what lies ahead, oh, lies behind, but strain for what lies ahead. In Christ, we have liberty to pursue, keep pursuing faith and to keep on moving forward. There's no condemnation when we fall back. He picks us up and he says, keep going if you're in Christ. And those that are not in Christ are like that person back in Romans 1, seeking any and every way to continually gratify their desires and their flesh. But Paul here says we're different. There is no condemnation. In 8, 9, and 10, he says that if you're in Christ, you aren't of the flesh, but you're of the spirit. God dwells in you and he's helping you in this journey. He's battling that sin with you and for you. And then 8, 11, he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And this is amazing hope, guys. This is amazing. We aren't just set free and then left to figure it out on our own. 
The Spirit of God walks with us, changes our hearts and our minds. He dwells with us, so he works it out alongside of us. It's amazing. He goes on in 14 and says, for all uh, who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did, did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself, I love that, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs gets better. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do you hear that? You aren't just delivered and then from sin and then let loose to figure that out. You're delivered through the work of Christ and then the spirit walks with you and he changes you to be more like Christ. There is no condemnation when you trip and you stumble. He'll pull you up. Christ has already taken all that condemnation off of you. Instead, you've been given the spirit of God. He dwells with us. He's adopted us. You're now part of the family. You can even call him father. But not only that, he's made us co-heirs with Christ. Listen, our father's storeroom is full. His treasures are limitless. His grace is abounding. His mercies are new every morning. His love is endless and steadfast. And in time, we will get to spend all of eternity with him at his table. And that table is so long that every ethnicity and language will be sitting there feasting with us as co-heirs. They'll be there too because they too were bought by the blood of Christ. And that changes us, doesn't it? It gives me a different perspective, and I hope it gives you one too. It means that this earthly life should be held in view of what we have coming in eternity with our Father. It makes my problems seem so much smaller, my suffering a little easier, and my grief, although painful, is mixed with joy and hope. Remember that kiddo I talked about, that 11-year-old? Over time, you forget that he was adopted. He's so integrated into the life of the family, he's actually leading the jokes now. Cooking the food with us. He's become every bit of who we are. And he will be forever. And that's what we get through Christ. It's hard, guys. I get it. They're stumbling. We go back and forth. But there will be a day when all that will be made new and we will fully function in, in the family of God. I long for that day. I think, though, there's one thing I would leave you with today. We are quick to forget. All these beautiful truths, we so easily forget them. We'll walk out these doors or turn off the TV and we'll forget it. And so my encouragement for you is find a way to remember it. 
The Israelites were an example to us over and over and over. They forgot. I mean, God did all these miracles in Egypt and took them over to Mount Sinai and they forgot and made a golden calf. And we are no different, people. We do the very same thing. But if these truths here in Romans mean anything to you, fight to remember them because it will change how you live now. And so I want to, I want to end with what I read at the very, very beginning in Romans 8. Remember how I asked after we read it, how did Paul get here? And the answer still stands. It's all through Christ. Where's your boasting? Where's mine? I don't have any room. It's all him. We're adopted. It's not easy, but the family is so amazing. I'm gonna work it out. He walks with us. He's completing us. He's dwelling with us as we go as sons and daughters and even heirs and people. And remember, there is no condemnation if you belong to Christ. And so let me read in eight, uh, chapter 8, starting in 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And now, verse 37 that we read earlier. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He did it. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Isn't that amazing? Let's pray. God, we thank you for Romans I wish we could just read it and just stay up here and read the book. And it's such beautiful truths laid out over and over and over and multifaceted and just examines everything about the beauty of the gospel and who we are in you and that we're adopted in this family and the law and sin no longer has rule over us, but we can follow through grace in you. And even though we, we stumble back All the time, you're there walking with us and helping with us. And when we look at you, after we've stumbled in shame, you remind us there's no condemnation. I'm your father. Christ paid for this. There's no condemnation because when I see you, I see the beauty of Christ Jesus bestowed upon you. So Lord, help us live in those truths now. We know it's a reality. We know it's to come, but change us 
and, and make our hearts different and help us to follow you. Help us to take off all those shameful things where we want to be the object of all of our worship and all of our praise and instead follow you. Help us to do it, Lord. Help us. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, at this time, we're going to participate in the, the Lord's Supper. And this is a, a beautiful reminder of what we just talked about, that Christ's body was broken for you. And we, we take the bread and we break it. And his blood was spilled for you. And so we take the cup and we drink just to remember the gospel. It's a, a tangible way for us to remember with our bodies of what he did with his body. And so as you take it, remember the beauty of, of the gospel here laid out by Paul in Romans. As sons and daughters, this is a family meal. This is what we do. This is part of the family. And so remember that as you take and rejoice and worship and tell him thank you for all he's done.